our sermon series called Jesus Is. If you're new with us, I'm glad you're here. We're walking through the book of Hebrews, and it is action-packed. It is uh, deep, to say the least. So theologically, we have been um, just joyfully trudging through uh, the last nine chapters or so, and today we kick off chapter 10, and so we're excited. The topic for today is that Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. I know uh, we have talked about that particular tub topic before, um, but I hope that it comes to you in a new, fresh way, keeping the same message. I love donuts. Um, like, not, I mean, like, I know people like donuts. I love donuts. But in particular, I love donuts from the Tasty Pastry in Clay Center, Kansas. Most of you probably have no clue what I'm talking about, but there's a little town in northeast Kansas called Clay Center, and they've got a little donut shop that is amazing. And growing up in Randolph, Kansas, uh, there was just a little gas station with uh, not really... Um, not really much, just a gas station. But for a tiny town with no stoplights, that's, that's the best we have. And they would always have, uh, every other day or so, they'd bring these fresh donuts, and I just grew up on them, and I love them, and they were just a huge treat for us. And so even when I come home now, we go to the shortstop, the gas station there, and we try to get donuts. And the other day, Tara and I went home and uh, went in on Saturday about 11. And normally, even though there's only a few dozen donuts you know, at a time, um, normally there's a few left, and we showed up uh, before I stopped at my parents' house uh, to get some donuts so we could take them home, and they didn't have any left in the main little container. I was like, you got to be kidding me. So I looked over, though, and, and sometimes they have like two-day-old donuts that they just throw together in a bag, and it's like 50 cents for the whole thing, but they're m gnarly and nasty and gross or whatever. Well, since I didn't have much of an option, I grabbed those. And uh, I was excited about them because it was better than nothing. And so then I went to my parents' house, and uh, after talking to them for a while, we walked into the kitchen to find two big bags of fresh donuts. They were the ones who bought all the donuts, and they didn't tell us about it. And uh, I was pleasantly surprised, but Tara and I, we looked at each other like, oh, no. Now we got like a crazy amount of donuts here. We have the old ones, which now are very lame. We knew they were pretty lame to begin with, and we got these fresh, awesome, wonderful ones. And so we were excited. We took them all home, though, and we were so inundated with donuts, we didn't know what to do. We didn't want them to go bad. We can't eat 100 donuts in a day, so we just threw them in the freezer. That story is pretty anticlimactic, but I think that's what happens a lot of times. We show up at cross training. We hear the same theological topics, as powerful and tasty as they may be, over and over and over and we recognize in that that we were living according to a lesser way, a bad way, an old way, and now we have a new way in Christ, and it's different, and the reality is mind-blowing, and it's awesome, and we hear about it, but do we actually see anything happen with that? Or do we come, uh, come here and absorb and, and then stuff it in the freezer, knowing that one day, it's there. It's there. I say that not because I know you, but because I know me. And I know enough about mankind to know we can do that. So today, I hope that as we look at the perfect sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that we see what that means from a legal standpoint in our debts with God, but that it overflows into a practical, tangible thing that changes everything. So as we walk through this, be asking yourself tonight, am I, am I really trusting in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, or am I still earning my way to God? 
So hopefully this could be powerful for you. If you've got a Bible, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 1, we're going to hit the first 18 verses tonight. So feel free to flip there. Chapter 10, verse 1, goes like this. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. All right, first thing we see is actually a question. What's your reminder? What is your reminder? Let's walk through this like we do each time. So verse 1, it says, but the law was a shadow of the good things to come. We've, we've been hearing this over and over, shadow, shadow, shadow. But what is he talking about here? He's saying, listen, the, the relief, the temporary relief that you got in the Old Testament sacrificial system, it was a shadow of a relief that you're going to get in Christ. It's a shadow, but it's not the real thing, and it's not even close to being good enough. And, of course, then he says, well, if it was good enough, then wouldn't they have stopped at some point offering animals? And we'd just be good. But they didn't. They did it all the time, over and over and over. Even those who thought, like, genuinely, God, I want to be close to you. I want to be in your presence. I want to experience your grace. Like, I, I want this animal thing to work. Even for them, it wasn't good enough. And then at the end of verse 2, it really shows the difference between the old way and the new way as it brings up the consciousness of sins. And we're going to hit on that here in a second. And then it says in verse 3 that it was a reminder of the sins. These sacrifices were a reminder of the sins. And then verse 4, verse 4 sounds like it's contradicting everything we know about the Old Testament sacrificial system, doesn't it? Like, if those animals couldn't take away sins... Why were we ever doing it to begin with? Now, of course, we've talked about how we see the seriousness of our sin in the sacrificial system. But it goes deeper than that. In verse 3, it shows that this is obviously a completely different ballgame. Old Testament, New Testament, sacrificial system, and Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Because they, although receiving some kind of blessing from this Old Testament sacrificial system, they, they, still, <laughs> they still had consciousness of sins. So there was some sort of legal transaction, or at least some degree of it, but there was never a full removal of guilt. Does that make sense? I know we've hit on this a lot, but I, I, I'm drawing you in tonight because this, is, this, this can change things for you. And then verse 4, of course, seems like it's contradicting. You see, in Leviticus chapter 4, verse 20, it says, and I'll paraphrase, that the sacrifices of animals, this Old Testament sacrificial system, that it made atonement for the forgiveness of sins. Like, isn't this contradicting that? It's saying that it is impossible for it to take away sins. It's impossible. So what happened? Well, in Leviticus chapter 4, verse 20, the word atone in Hebrew is kephar. Now, this is important because when you dig into what does it mean, it actually means to cover up 
sins. Now, I, I, know, I know at first you're just like, well, no, that sounds like the same thing. Semantics. Not semantics. Huge. There's a huge difference between the covering of sins and then the removal of sins. So do you understand that's one of the huge differences between the sacrificial system in the Old Testament and what we have now in Christ? Christ takes away sin, doesn't just cover it, he takes it away. And in the Old Testament, they had some sense of forgiveness, but it's not the same. It's kind of like, it's like when, uh, when you're on the playground, you're growing up, you got your buddy, and they tick you off, and you come inside, and you're telling your mom about how bad they ticked you off and how they did you wrong, and, and then you go back out because they say you need to forgive them, right? You need to say you're sorry, and, and they're sorry, and then you need to work it out. And you do it, but do you really, do you really forgive them? Like you still remember what just went down. But you can go on playing, but you remember we got beef. And in the Old Testament, they experienced a temporary relief of the covering of sins, but essentially it was a band-aid. It was a band-aid over their sins that they eventually needed removal of. They needed removal of. And not only that, but the, the, <laughs> the sacrifices they did, not only could they fully remove sins, but they were, they were a reminder. They were a reminder of your mistakes, of their sin, of their mistakes. The Day of Atonement, man, big day in the community of Israel. We're going we're to cleanse the whole place. At the end of the day, we still feel guilty. We still don't have removal. And that's all just one big band-aid over what's really going on inside. I think this is us to some degree. I mean, be honest. You come in here Sunday, you hear a great sermon all about grace. God's moving. Awesome. He can forgive you of everything. And you receive it. And you genuinely believe that, like, man, the seed is planted and it's going to bloom and, and awesome things are going to happen. You feel great. You got that Sunday afternoon high. We all know what that feels like. Things are going good. You leave. But by Sunday night, Monday morning, you feel like junk again, don't you? And what happens is your mistakes and their ramifications, they start to creep back into your mind and your guilt. All of a sudden, you gave it to Jesus that morning, but now it's coming back a little bit. It's starting to tear you up mentally. What's your reminder of sins? And the Jews, they had animals, blood everywhere. They had reminders of sin and their mistakes everywhere. What's your reminder of sin? Some of you, I say this from experience. Some of us, we, man, we're good all throughout the day, but you get us home alone, or maybe it's that drive home if we're single. You got time to think. Being alone is scary, right? Like you can't even handle being alone with your own thoughts. Some of you know what that's like. So you, you, you get removed from everyone and you start thinking about everything you've done and, and, and why don't I have this or what's going on here and maybe God's mad at me and then all of a sudden like you just sit there and if someone calls you up, you're just depressed because you were alone too long. Some of you, you know, you know your reminder of sins, even though you might claim forgiveness in Christ, your reminder of sins is being around certain people so you avoid them, Right? You got that ex-boyfriend, that ex-girlfriend, that ex-husband, ex-wife. 
and you know, just like, I don't want to be around them. You, you, you like growing up in Salina, but you kind of hate it. You're like, well, it's a big town, but it's kind of a small town because you dread seeing somebody at Walmart that you grew up with because they remember who you were and what you did. You avoid people because you know, gosh, if I see them, they're going to remind me of who I was or what I did, and it's going to be miserable. It's going to be miserable. <laughs> if you're like me, your reminder of sins is your flaws and your relationships with people. Always glaring back. When we planted churches, man, we're evangelistic. We're out there. We're, we're planting churches in Utah, Nebraska, whatever, and it, it's awesome. But the bottom line is we, we were going after folks. We didn't have people flocking to us all the time. And, and so there were bouts and periods of time where I wouldn't around people that much. People weren't just like, oh, you're the new church planner. We'd love to hang out. Like, that didn't happen very often. So you start to think, man, maybe I'm not that bad of a guy. Like, I haven't hurt anyone lately. Doing all right. My relationships are halfway stable. Then I come to Crosspoint. We've already got 250 people here. Like, hey, you're the new pastor. Great. Let's talk. Let's hang out. And then all of a sudden, I'm finding out that the more I'm around people, the more I stink at life. Why? Was it because I just all of a sudden went downhill? Well, maybe, but probably not. I was probably always like this, and it just got reflected in my relationship. And, and, and now I walk around thinking, gosh, I think I'm getting worse at life all the time. So some of you, it's hard being around people because it's a reminder how jacked up you are when you don't act right. I remember when... Um, I remember when I was in Manhattan after I, I was in jail at the age 18. You guys, many of you know the story. And so I go, I'm a convicted felon, a couple aggravated battery uh, charges. And, and so I'm out of jail and I'm 18 years old and actually 19 at that point. And every single week I had a reminder of my mistakes because I would have to go on intensive probation. I would have to go three times a week to take a drug test. Didn't even get in trouble for drugs, but I was that much of a criminal. And so every time I did that, I just remember, like, oh, why am I in here? Because I'm dumb. And then on the weekends, my friends would contact me, and they wanted to go do things that were illegal. This is pre-Jesus days, keep in mind, for me. And I can't hang out with them. Why? Because I'm dumb. You guys want to do dumb stuff, but I can't because I already did dumb stuff, and I got in trouble for it. But I, I want to remove myself from all of that. i got to get around some better folks, and i got to change. I need to change. And so then I go down to Hutchinson and move down there. I'm going to do something noble with my life. I remember one of my family members came with me. We're looking at apartments, and I'm just like, oh, this is a fresh start. This is going to feel good. And I'm filling out an application, and, and my family member with me leaned over to the secretary of the apartment complex and says, you know he's a convicted felon, right? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Does it ever end? She's like, eh, Okay constant reminder of sins. If you find yourself in this vicious cycle, the answer is not always just the removal of the reminder of your sin. The answer and the cure is the removal of sin. It's not that we just can't be around people because they're going to remind us of who we once were. It's that we can be around people and confident in Christ say, you know what? I'm not who I once was. Jesus forgave me. Things are changing and I'm not just going to run from all my reminders. I'm going to run to the cross and face things boldly. I don't know what that looks like for you. What's your reminder? Verses 5 through 10. 
The author says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings, okay, we're, we got an Old Testament quote here, so pay attention to those quotation marks. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first, this is the Old Testament covenant there of the Mosaic covenant, in order to establish the second, the new covenant. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Powerful theological statements. What's the second thing we see? Is that Jesus makes us holy. Jesus makes us holy. So in in verses 5 through 7, the second half of verse 5, we see a quote. And this quote is from Psalm chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. Isn't it amazing for those of you who've been tracking with us for the last few months in Hebrews? Isn't it amazing how many Old Testament quotes the author uses from, from Psalms alone? Like, you don't normally think of Old Testament. What's the most, like, man, where am I going to find the most about Jesus and Messianic prophecy stuff? Like, you're thinking Isaiah, there's some good stuff. Psalms is filled with it. And so you got this deal here where he's quoting Psalms, but he's applying it to Jesus' sacrifice. David in Psalm 40 was talking, uh, and he says, the author says, man, this is about Jesus. Now here's a difference here. If you go back to Psalm 40, I'm just going to hit on this for a second because it's important um, stuff, but... In Psalm 40, it says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. But then here, the author here in Hebrews adds something. He says, but a body have you prepared for me. That's not in the original. It's in the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, but it's not in your New Te- or excuse me, your Old Testament. It's probably going to be something like, um, but my eyes have been opened, or you have opened my eyes. Now, just briefly, what does that mean when he, he changes that? Well, essentially, they say the same thing. Some say um, in, in Exodus chapter 21, verse 6, it talks about a slave or a servant who is going to stay with their master in uh, Israel. And in order to do that, they would poke holes in their ears, and it would be a mark that, like, you're going to be here forever. You're a servant, and you choose to serve me, and you want to. You're staying with your master. Some say, well, that's the case. But regardless, here's what it means. The author is basically saying that this is talking about the body of Jesus, the incarnation, him coming here to earth. It's talking about how he's, he's ready to do whatever God asks him to do, and that is to die on the cross. Now, you, you might see here and think, well, isn't this kind of weird that it says in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you take no pleasure? So does that mean that he didn't want Jesus to die on the cross? No, he, of course, wanted Jesus to die. But if you ever asked yourself, does God really love all these animals getting slashed to pieces? Is he some kind of weird God? He said, no, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't enjoy that. Not at all. But he wanted us to get the seriousness of our sins. You've got blood flying everywhere. You're going to find sin is serious real quick. And to do your will is why he came. And then he goes on to explain essentially what he had just said. 
and says he does away with the first in order to establish the second. Sometimes it's easy for us to look back and, and say, well, the Old Testament's the Old Testament, New Testament's the New Testament, completely different things, and, and there's truth to that. But we, we often look at it and think, well, this is easy to just separate. Here's, here's the deal. You can't really separate it in the sense that like, oh, there's those sacrifices then, and then there's Jesus, and it's, it's two different things. If there was ever a time where like the perfect sacrifice came into the Old Testament sacrificial system, the whole thing gets shut down. Like it's, it's going year after year after year after year. They're looking for the perfect one and shuts down. They knew animals were not going to get this done. So Jesus, he, he says, <laughs> when, he, when he's talking to his people, he says that I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He didn't come and say, well, you know what? I'm a Jew, but I hate all Jewish stuff, and I'm going to go do something new. No, he said, I'm coming here. I'm one of you. I love you. I get it, but I'm going to put an end to it because I'm going to fulfill it. And when I fulfill it, when I'm the perfect sacrifice, everything's going to change from here on out. It has to change. There's no need for any more sacrifices because I'm perfect. I'm perfect, he says. I got, I got to believe to some degree, like, man, you and I, we can sympathize with these people. I mean, put, put yourself in that position. Every single year, every day, you're used to these priests offering sacrifices. You do the same stuff. You just know this is how it works. Welcome. I joke earlier about the royals because we're here in America and people want to go home and watch the game. And blah, blah, blah. Why? We, we get it. We're used to it. If all of a sudden tomorrow, you know, we had another Bible study and the whole city showed up and in the middle of the next big ball game, we'd be like, What? Something happened. This is weird. We're not used to it. Now, can you picture going back to the Old Testament and like all of a sudden, hey, I know that all your ancestors and you, all you guys, you're just used to the sacrificial system. It's done. Jesus is the best. Perfect. He died. It's over. Something new has begun. Oh, well, yeah, sounds good. Let's go do that. Like that's probably not going to happen because they were used to it. They were used to it. I think... Um, I think they, they saw the inadequacy of animals, <laughs> and so it was easy for them to not see themselves as very holy in the eyes of God. And for you and I, we do this all the time. I think there's something in our sin nature that just errs on the side of our insecurities. Think about it. Young folks, you, you're talking about dating, you, you know, and you start thinking about, well, maybe I could date that person. That's cool. They've been showing up to cross training for a while, and now I've been showing up. Maybe we could get together. And then you start really thinking about it. You're like, gosh, they're, they're pretty good looking. And at one time you had a little confidence, but then you really think about it, and you start thinking, oh, gosh, they're a little bit out of my league. Right? Like you err on the side of inadequacies, right? And if you're a young man, that's probably true. They, they are. The, the counterpart is probably better looking than you if there were such a comparison you look at a job and you're like man i think i can get this new job it's awesome it's gonna be amazing and you put in your resume or your application and you're thinking this is this is gonna be good i can do this and then you go home and you really start thinking about it and you're like why would they hire me that's why they haven't called me in two weeks why would they hire me we, we err on the side of inadequacies when it comes to holiness with god like we just we just do we're just like yep yeah, it's we're not good enough and it's hard then when all of a sudden we have the blood of Jesus covering us. They're like, oh, you, you consider me holy? Like, what? <laughs> but this is huge because verse 10 doesn't leave us hanging. It says, by, the will, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So sanctified, and we're going to talk some theological stuff for a split second. But sanctified is to be made holy, to be made pure, to be made clean. And some people ask then, and now I'm, I'm letting you into the, the theological discussions, the world here in the, the Christian church. 
People wonder, well, are you, to be sanctified, to be made holy because of what Jesus did, is it a process or is it something that like just happens immediately? The truth is it's both. And you'll see in verse 14, it says it has a similar sentence, but it's, it's a little bit different. You see, it's kind of like, it, like the old saying with a, you know, the illustration of a heart surgery. You have a heart surgery, all of a sudden you can say, hey, I got a brand new heart, but do you get up running the next day? Probably not, like you work into it. And so the second you place your faith in Jesus Christ and trust in his perfect sacrifice, he has made you holy. You die, he, he, you are viewed as holy in the eyes of God. You made a mistake this morning, you're still viewed as holy in the eyes of God. Like immediately, spiritually, this has taken place. But we know, <laughs> if you've walked around this earth long enough, you know that like things aren't perfect like we're, we're broken. It's hard to say as believers, like, oh, we feel perfect. We feel sanctified. Doesn't, I don't feel perfect. It's true. You could live another 90 years or another two days, and you're never going to get to the point where you say, I've arrived. I'm perfect until you see Jesus face to face. But it's also true in Christ, you're going to become more Christ-like as he transforms you, and you adapt to this new life, this new birth, this new covenant. So it's both. But what it does is it gives you the right to claim, even as jacked up as you might feel right now, and you see people who say, this is who you once were. I know it. Like, oh, you're going to church now? Yeah, I know what you did last week. And like, listen, like he gives you the right to say, man, I'm perfect in the eyes of the Father because of what Jesus has done. Doesn't mean we go around abusing grace, but it means we walk in it. Like that reality has got to be a part of our lives. It's got to be a part of our lives. I remember when I got that stuff expunged off my record, and I talked to the judge, I talked to uh, people working at the court. Like I, I asked them, like, okay, tell me again, what does it mean to have this expunged? Because to one degree, I'm wondering, like, is this even worth it? I waited my three years or whatever, and, and they're saying, You're, you can file for expungement. And they told me over and over and over again, I had our time believing, they said, you can legally claim to have never committed this crime. So you go to an employer, and they say, have you committed any crimes, or you fell in whatever, you can write, nope. And I, I struggle with that, to be honest, because I was thinking to myself, but I am a convicted felon. I have committed those crimes. Isn't that being dishonest? But in the law of the land, when the judge says, this is how it's going to be, that's how it's going to be. And that's what Jesus does for us. When the Father says, I'm going to view you as perfect, it doesn't matter if you felt that way today. It doesn't matter if you woke up and said, I've got amazing confidence in Christ today. Or if you said, I just want to crawl under a rock. The Father the judge says, this is how I choose to view everyone who trusts my son. Regardless of how you feel. Like, what kind of confidence in Christ does that give us? Now you see why Paul says, I boast. Like, my boast is in Jesus. It's a whole different ballgame. And if his work on the cross 2,000 years ago can't change a bit, why is it that our guilt keeps creeping back in? 
And brothers and sisters, we got to grab that and submit it to Christ. Because we got rights that a lot of us aren't using. It's big time. Verses 11 through 14 say, And every priest, oh, this is packed full of stuff. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Remember what we just said about feeling perfect? But he says it, he's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. What do we see here? We see that Jesus' sacrifice gives us rest. It gives us rest. I'm going to make a statement, and some of you are going to think, well, you're being a little bit too just brash here. Like, if you say, I trust Jesus, and you don't find yourself on a regular basis experiencing a spiritual rest, meaning I'm not going to work my way to God. I'm not going to try to, 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 to gain approval in other ways other than the cross. Like, If you don't experience an amazingly awesome spiritual rest that transcends just not only the spiritual, but emotionally and mentally and even physically, probably not trusting in Jesus' perfect sacrifice. You say, well, that's kind of hard, Pastor Ryan. Like, seriously, I don't, I, don't, I don't feel those things a lot of times. It's true. We live on earth. It's rough. You're not going to feel everything every second of the day. But I'm not going to bow down and say, well, it's just hard because we're here on earth when he's telling us we have the rights. Listen, here's the bottom line. We think that statement's harsh because a lot of us aren't experiencing it because we're leaving it on the table. And it's not for us to come here and say, hey, lots of good stuff in the Bible. Jesus gives us rights. It's amazing. It's awesome. Now go back and feel the way you felt when you came in here today. No, like you should leave bold and confident and excited. Because things change 2,000 years ago. It changed. Let me ask you this. Now you gotta get you got to dig into your heart a little bit here. What sins are you repeatedly standing? We're not, we're not Old Testament priests. I think, I think we got a lot in common with them. What, what sins uh, of your own are you repeatedly standing daily and, and you're offering for them? With your hard work? With your just try a little harder mentality? A lot of us are exhausted of this. Maybe, maybe, maybe you trust like, well, I think God can take care of the little stuff. But I don't know about the big stuff. Listen, here, here's the bottom line. If you aren't trusting him for the big stuff or vice versa, you're probably not really truly trusting his sacrifice for anything. 
You see, the priests, they, they in the Old Testament would not only be there daily to offer sacrifices, so the daily stuff, okay, what happened tomorrow, what, or excuse me, what happened yesterday, well, what's going on today, oh, we got things going on tomorrow, like, okay, we're going to offer sacrifices for these things over and over and over all day long, this is our job, this is what we do, so the little stuff, the daily stuff, it's getting taken care of. Uh, but then they had, well, as we know, the Day of Atonement, which the scapegoat, all that good stuff, pr- high priest, holy of holies, we've all talked about that stuff, but like, man, this is the big thing, this is like, we're going to cover every sin done in ignorance. It's going to be great. But they never experienced the true removal of guilt for anything, and I I believe that we struggle with the same stuff. Let me go, let me go to both sides of the coin here. Let's, Let's hit this. Let's hit this, and let's see if you fall into one of these categories here. Maybe, maybe you don't feel guilt over the big stuff anymore. That like you had that aha moment, you trust, hey, Jesus took care of the big stuff. Like I, I could tell you, we could all rifle off the big sins that we consider in our minds big sins, right? We, we, we know Jesus has taken it, and, and we believe one day we're going to be in heaven because he's taken it. But if we were real with ourselves, we don't really trust him for the sacrifice and the tiny daily stuff. And you say, no, that's probably not me. Well, we feel guilt-ridden when we don't read our Bible every day like we should. Or mamas who, who well, I just, I just, I don't, I don't feed my kid or my family as good as other moms do. They have all this home-cooked stuff, and they take all the vegetables, and they shred it up, and they feed it to them pure for their kids. It's just wonderful. Like, I don't do that. Well, at work, sometimes I, I, strum, I struggle a little bit, and I, I slip into this gossip. I'm doing my best at college, but like sometimes I'm just lazy. Sometimes I'm just a glutton. And sometimes I spend money the way I should not spend money because I don't want to eat all the time at the nasty diner on campus. And you say, well, Ryan, doesn't sound like a lot of those things are sins. If, we're, if we see sin for what it is, which is a missing of, uh, of the mark, like, and we know, man, those aren't ways that we should live. If this is you, then you're probably experiencing on a daily basis a constant struggle with God because you have turmoil because of the consistent little sins in our mind. When I say little, I'm just saying, remember, just for fun, we're breaking it up like this. And your daily fellowship with God is messed up because there's constant turmoil. You're like, you come here every week. This is, uh, there's a whole generation of folks who will do it. They come here, you say, do you really trust that Jesus died for your sins? And they're going to say, yeah, I believe it. But if you really look at their lives day in and day out, Monday through Saturday, like, man, they feel beat down and miserable because they're viewing the little stuff as, well, I can handle this. And God's probably punishing me this because, uh, punishing me because I, I didn't read like I should have today or I didn't pray as much as I should have. And I'm missing the mark here. There's a flip side, and that's that. Some of us are on the daily stuff. We were doing all right, like we really we're trusting God daily. We don't we don't have this guilt creeping in all the time. Remember the huge difference between conviction and guilt. But then, like we don't really ever experience true forgiveness in the big stuff. You know, the taboo stuff. We're talking about abortion. We're talking about adultery, we're even talking divorce, 
We're talking pornography. These are the ones that, man, you think to yourself, if people even knew the extent of my sin in this, they would know. That's why it's unforgivable. And so it's not that we don't have, uh, you know, can give God the, the daily stuff. Like, we feel like that's all right, and we even talk to him, and it's okay. But, like, we're just really not experiencing the fullness of this Christian life. We read John 10.10, and we're just like, life to the fullest? Eh, I don't know what that means, but I don't experience it. And what happens if you don't give the, the, the big stuff to God, if you don't truly trust Jesus' sacrifice for that, then, then you're going to find that you never view God as, as someone who's going to trust you to do big stuff because you view yourself as damaged goods in the eyes of the Father. And you think, well, I can't really serve the kids if I've had an abortion. Well, I can't, I can't be a missionary overseas if I claim bankruptcy and I wouldn't smart financially here. Well, God's never going to send me a spouse again because I got divorced. Well, one day my spouse is probably going to cheat on me because that's what I did to them way back in the day. And so you have a cap on the fullness of life that you're going to ever experience because you just leave that stuff deep, dark, down there. And Jesus came to wipe all of it away. Are you, are you living in a place where you constantly fear punishment for the mistakes you're making? Like, do you know this is the blessing of Jesus' sacrifice? That he took the punishment? Keep in mind, there's a difference between discipline and punishment. But if you're just waiting for God to crack the whip on you, you're not partaking in the perfect sacrifice. And you're, part, you're not partaking in a spiritual rest. It's time we stop viewing ourselves as the enemies under Jesus' feet. Because that's reserved for the devil. And he conquered him 2,000 years ago. And the consummation and fullness of that will come one day when there's a new heaven, new earth. Jesus comes back and everything's going to change. And the devil will not have the power he has now. And he will be cast into the lake of fire. But some of us deep down, we feel like the enemy. And so we're waiting for our punishment. There's a better way. Last but not least, verse 15 through 18, and the Holy Spirit, second time in Hebrews we saw the author refer to the Old Testament as Holy Spirit. Talk about a high view of Scripture. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, now we're talking Jeremiah 31 quotes here, the new covenant, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember. Don't, I, I know it's getting late. Don't check out on this. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more where there is forgiveness of sin. So all the 17 verses working up to this, the author is pointing to this, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin is a new reality this is a new reality 
So not only does he remove sins by the cross, but also he's saying, I'm going to place my spirit in you. I'm going to take the outside law. I'm going to put it in your mind, in your heart. You're going to have a desire to follow me because you're going to have a new heart. You're going to be born again. It's going to change things. It's going to change things. And I'm going to remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Not only does he give us in this new covenant his spirit inside of us, the spirit of boldness and power that rose Jesus from the grave, but he gives us the right to not dwell on our past mistakes. If he is saying, I'm not going to remember it anymore, what does that say about us? If he's paving the way saying, I'm choosing, I'm choosing not to remember their mistakes anymore, why are we dwelling on them as if they haven't been paid for? Listen, if you've got wickedness in your heart, you can take what I'm saying and want to leave here and abuse grace. But man, if you're just receiving the seed of the gospel, this perfect sacrifice, it's going to change things for you. going to change things. This doesn't mean that we don't regret our past mistakes. It means that when we come face to face with them, we choose to meditate on what Jesus has done in our place. I hope that you guys see as we walk through this that the whole purpose of all of this, the reason we're gathering here, the reason we're opening up Hebrews is so that you and I can live under a brand new reality, a brand new covenant. I don't want you to come like, like the stupid donut story this mo- or at the beginning of this and think, well, yeah, there's an old way and there's a new way and I'm just going to throw it in the freezer and not do anything. Like, like I'm telling you, this will change everything. Everything, when we shift our focus from what we aren't in the eyes of God, or unfortunately sometimes what we are in a negative way, when we shift that to what Jesus has done on the cross and to take all of life and every mistake and submit it to him and say, who do you say I am? Not just in view of my mistake, but in view of your son's sacrifice. This is a game changer. This is what it means to be gospel-centered. This is what it means to have the fullness of life. And if you came here tonight and you're thinking, well, you know what, this is all good, but I think I'm pretty much living under this new reality. I have rest. I'm experiencing freedom spiritually. I love Jesus. I want you to think about your friends, your coworkers, your family. I want you to think about those in your grow group who you've heard over and over and over their spiritual stress as they've shared about their life. And you can tell, man, something isn't clicking. Like they don't know this new reality that we have a right to live as holy in Christ. And go share this with them. God wants you first to experience it. But what he does to you, he wants to work through you to those around us. Let's pray.